Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Here's Father Ted. Every year during Lent, the first Sunday always presents us with the gospel of the temptations of Jesus in the desert for 40 days because this is the experience that we are going to hopefully be having for the next 40 days. We're going to be going into the desert of the spiritual life, purging ourselves, purifying, fasting like Jesus, praying like Jesus, and probably being tempted like Jesus. But there's an interesting notion that comes up in Mark's version of this as well as Matthew's. uh, Matthew says that the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. In today's Gospel, Mark, we hear that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. And other translations say that he was thrust into the desert, or he was cast out into the desert by the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that descended upon him at the baptism in the Jordan, which had just taken place, is now pushing him, essentially, into the arena, into this realm of temptation and trial, where he is going to confront Satan for 40 days. Now, it's worth asking, like, why is the Spirit doing this to Jesus? You know, we normally think of God, the Holy Spirit, as saving us from temptation, as getting us out of those situations of temptation. But here it's the opposite. He is almost looking for a fight. So why is this the case? Why is it that the Spirit is pushing Jesus into this? Let us remember something very important. God is love, and everything he does is out of love. It is incompatible with God that he is ever going to do anything in order that we might suffer, in order that we might sin, in order to hurt us. That's an important principle to keep in mind when seeing passages like this. He does not know how to do wrong to us. As James says, God tempts no one. But he does allow us to be tempted. To be tempted. Why? The saints were unanimous. Temptations are opportunities. One of the desert fathers went so f- one of the, the, the monks that used to live in the desert of Egypt went so far as to say that if there were no temptations, nobody would go to heaven. And there was another monk in the desert of Egypt. He visited his spiritual director, and he was really happy because, hey, I'm not being tempted at all. Like, I've just, you know, had a great month, and nothing's gone wrong, and, you know, it's been really easy to pray and everything. And his spiritual director told him, you need to pray for temptations. You need to ask God to send you some temptations. Because without them, you're just going to get proud thinking you're really holy. And you're not going to have the opportunity to prove your love for God or grow in merit. St. Augustine said that our pilgrimage on earth cannot be exempt from trial because we progress by means of trial. There's this, there's this universal law. You can never conquer unless you first fight. No Olympian athlete ever won a gold medal by simply showing up to the games. He had to fight for it for hundreds or thousands of hours of practice. 
No saint ever showed up in heaven simply because he whimsically desired and wanted to show up one day. He had to fight for it. They had to work for heaven, and so do we. There's a common vision. There's not a lot of metallurgy happening in Emmitsburg as of late. But it's a great image for what is happening in the course of a temptation. Because the way that the refining of silver works is, like, when you pull silver, you mine silver out of the ground, it's going to be mixed with these baser metals that have to be removed. And the way you do that is you, when the silversmith knows that all the dross has gone from it, peering over it, the silver suddenly becomes a liquid mirror in which the refiner can see his face reflected in it. And the process of purification is complete when God can look at us and see himself reflected in us, like the silversmith who sees himself reflected in the mirror-like clarity of the silver. Now, another simpler analogy to think about temptations and virtues is that of muscles. Because if you never practice any virtues, you're never going to grow in any virtues. And the same thing works with muscles. Like back when I was in high school playing football, I could bench 320 pounds. I then entered the seminary. And we don't bench press a lot in the seminary. They don't want the guys coming out of formation looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so, now, because I'm not bench pressing so much, I probably wouldn't be able to put up 220. But the same is also true of our spiritual muscles. If we're never practicing the virtue of patience, we never grow in the virtue of patience. So we have to be put into the fire of impatient situations in order to grow in that virtue. If we never are tempted against temperance, self-control, we're never going to grow in the virtue of self-control. If we never are in a fearful situation, we're never going to grow in trust in God and courage. It is by trial that we become more virtuous. Now, knowing this is something very helpful and it's an optimistic outlook on temptations, but in order for this to actually happen, in order for the, the temptation to be good for us, you actually have to beat it. It doesn't do any good for you to get tempted and then always fall into the temptation. We must overcome like Christ. And St. Ignatius had a piece of advice for us in that regard. Like, how is it, what is one generic piece of advice that should be implemented against any and every kind of temptation? St. Ignatius said, no hesitation, no doubt, no dialogue. We're always big on dialogue nowadays. That's a big, you know, it's a, it's a key word that comes up a lot in contemporary circles. But with the devil, you do not dialogue. You do not discuss things with him. Adam and Eve's fall into original sin began because Eve decided to strike up a conversation with the serpent. We must immediately reject temptation without a second thought. If you remember the temptation of Jesus Christ in the desert from the other Gospels, the devil comes to him and he says, hey, do this. And Jesus says a single verse, a single word even, and that's it. The devil becomes encouraged when we hesitate, when we doubt, when we're sort of thinking about things. That's fatal to our spiritual life. And so we can compare temptations maybe to a bobcat. Like in California where I grew up, uh, the bobcat is basically a smaller version of a mountain lion. And in California there's mountains and hills everywhere. And very often in the morning people like to go running, they go for jogs in the mountains. And the trouble is, that's also the hour of the day when the bobcats like to hunt. 
And so even though they're not a very large animal, they are capable and they have in fact killed joggers in that moment of the day. And so it's important that you know how to react when a bobcat shows up. And you do not run. You do not show fear. You do not hesitate. You confront that animal. You open wide your jacket. You make yourself as large as humanly possible. You throw rocks and sticks. You even run at it. And then it's going to turn tail and run. But if you turn tail and run, if you show hesitation, if you are afraid, then it pursues you. And then it could be fatal for your life. And the same with the temptation from the devil. So we need to firmly resist without a second thought. Like James told us in, in the Bible, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we shouldn't go looking for temptation. We shouldn't go looking for the desert and trying like, okay, I'm going to get tempted now. You know, we need to avoid the near occasion of sin just like we need to avoid bobcats. But if one does show up, if you are tempted, you need to respond without any hesitation, with firmness of will and decisiveness. Now there is one very comforting verse that comes up in our gospel today. It says that the angels were ministering to him. That is to say, whenever there, was, there is a spiritual trial, we're not facing it alone. The angels were helping Jesus in his trial. In the book of 2 Kings, we read about Elisha and his servant who were trapped by their enemies in Dothan. And Elisha's servant was despairing. He'd given up all hope. He thought they were doomed. And Elisha prayed over his servant. And then his servant's eyes were opened to the spiritual reality. And he saw in the hills around Dothan thousands upon thousands of chariots and horses of fire that were of the Lord. They were watched over. They were protected. They were not alone in their hour of need. Jesus was not alone in the desert, and we are not alone when, our, when temptations come our way. The Jews believe that when it said that angels were ministering to Jesus, they were ministering to Jesus the way that they ministered to Adam in the Garden of Eden. The Jews believe that angels made food for Adam in the Garden. They prepared the food that he was going to eat until the fall. We do not have angels ministering to us, but we have the Lord God ministering to us. And he has prepared a banquet for us as we begin this Lenten journey. The banquet of the Eucharist.